Chapter 4 Treebeard Meanwhile, the hobbits went with as much speed as the dark and tangled forest allowed, following the line of the running stream westward and up towards the slopes of the mountains, deeper and deeper into Fangorn. Slowly their feet of the orcs died away, and their pace slackened. A queer stifling feeling came over them, as if the air were too thin or too scanty for breathing. At last, Mary halted. We can't go on like this, he panted. I want some air. Let's have a drink at any rate, said Pippin. I'm parched. He clambered onto a great tree root that wound deep into the stream, and stooping drew up some water in his cupped hands. It was clear and cold, and he took many draughts. Mary followed him. The water refreshed them and seemed to cheer their hearts. For a while they sat together on the brink of the stream, dabbling their sore feet and legs, and peered round at the trees that stood silently about them, rank upon rank, until they fain- faded into a into great twilight in every direction. "'I suppose you haven't lost us already?' said Pippin, leaning back against a great tree trunk. "'We can at least follow the course of this stream, the entwasher, whatever you call it, and get out again the way we came.' "'We could, if our legs would do it,' said Pippin, "'and if we could breathe properly.' "'Yes, it is all very dim and stuffy in here,' said Pippin. "'It reminds me somehow of the old room in the great place of the Tooks away back in the smiles of Tookborough.' A huge place where the furniture has never been moved or changed for generations. They said the old took lived in it year after year, while he and the room got older and shabbier together, and it has never been changed since he died, a century ago. And old Gerontius was my great-great-grandfather. That puts it back a bit, but that is nothing to the old feeling of this wood. Look at all those weeping, trailing beards of whiskies of, and whiskers of lynchin and most of the trees seem to be half-covered with ragged, dry leaves that have never fallen. Untidy. I can't imagine what spring would look like here, if it ever comes, still less a spring cleaning. But the sun, at any rate, must peep in sometimes, said said Mary. It does not look or feel at all like Bilbo's description of Mirkwood. That was all dark and black, in the home of dark black things. This is just dim, and frightfully tree-ish. You can't imagine animals living here at all, or staying for long. No, nor hobbits, said Pippin, and I don't like the thought of trying to get through it either. Nothing to eat for a hundred miles, I should guess. How are our supplies? Low, said Mary. We ran off with nothing but a couple of spare packets of limbass, and left everything else behind. They looked at what remained of the oven cakes broken fragments for about five meager days that was all and not a wrap or a blanket said mary we shall be cold tonight whichever way we go well we'd better decide on the way now said pippin the morning must be getting on just then they became aware of a yellow light that had appeared some further on into the wood shafts of sunlight seemed suddenly to have pierced the forest roof hello said mary the sun must have ran into a cloud while we've been under these trees, and now she has run out again, or else she has climbed high enough to look down through some opening. It isn't fair. Let's go and investigate. They found it was further than they thought. The ground was rising steeply still, and it was becoming increasingly stony. The light grew broader as they went on, and soon they saw that there was a rock wall before them, the side of a hill of the abrupt end of some long root thrust out by the distant mountains. No trees grew on it, and the sun was falling full on its stony face. The twigs of the trees at, at its foot were stretched out stiff and still, as if reaching out to the warmth where 
all had looked so shabby and gray before the wood now gleamed with rich browns and with the smooth black grace of barclay polished leather leather the boles of the trees grew glowed in with a soft green like grass young grass early spring or a fleeting vision of it was about them in the face of the stony wall there was something like a stair natural perhaps and made by the weathering and splitting of the rock for it was rough and uneven high up almost level with the tops of forest trees there was a shelf under a cliff nothing grew there but a few grasses and weeds at its edge and one old stump of a tree with only two bent branches left it looked almost like the figure of some gnarled old man standing there blinking in the morning light up we go said mary joyfully now for a breath of air and a sight of the land they climbed and scrambled up the rock if the if the stair had been made it was for bigger feet and longer legs than theirs they were too eager to be surprised at the remarkable way in which the cuts and sores of their captivity had healed and their vigor had returned they came at length to the edge of the shelf almost at the feet of the old stump then they sprang up and turned round with their backs to the hill breathing deep and looking out eastward they saw that they had only come some three or four miles into the forest the heads of the trees marched down the slopes towards the plain there near the fringe of the forest tall spires of curling black smoke went up wavering and floating towards them the wind's changing said mary it's turned east again it feels cool up here yes said pippin i'm afraid this is only a passing gleam and it will go all gray again what a pity this jaggy old forest looks so different in the sunlight I almost felt I liked the place. Almost felt like you liked the forest. That's good. That's uncommonly kind of you, said a strange voice. Turn round and let me have a look at your faces. I almost feel that I dislike you both, but do not let, let us be hasty. Turn around. A large knob-knuckled hand was laid on each of their shoulders, and they were twisted round, gently but irresistibly, that, then the two great arms lifted up. They found that they were looking at an almost extraordinary face. It belonged to a large man-like, almost troll-like figure, at least fourteen foot high, very sturdy with a tall head and hardly any neck. Whether, we, whether it was clad in stuff like green and gray bark or whether that was its hide was difficult to say. At any rate, the arms at a short, at a short distance from the trunk were not wrinkled, but covered with a brown smooth skin. The large feet had seven toes each. The lower part of the of the long face was covered with a sweeping gray beard, bushy, almost twiggy at the roots, thin and mossy at the ends. But at the moment, the hobbits noted little but the eyes. These deep eyes were now surveying them, slow and solemn, and but very penetrating. They were brown, shot with a green light. Often afterwards, Pippin tried to describe his first impression of them. One felt as if there was an enormous well behind them, filled up with ages of memory and long slow steady steady thinking but their surface was sparkling with the present like the sun shimmering on on the outer leaves of a vast tree or on the ripples of a very deep lake i don't know but it felt as if something that grew on the ground asleep you might say as as if some asleep you might say or just feeling itself as something between root tip and leaf tip between deep earth and sky had suddenly waked up it was considering you with the same slow care that had given to its own inside affairs for endless years. Whom, whom, murmured the voice, a deep voice like a very deep woodwind instrument. Very odd indeed. Do not be hasty. That is my motto. 
but if I had seen you before I heard your voices, I liked them. Nice little voices. They reminded me of something I cannot remember. If I had seen you before I heard you, I should have just trodden on you, taking you for little orcs, and found out my mistake afterwards. Very odd you are indeed. Root and twig, very odd. Pippin, though still amazed, no longer felt afraid. Under those eyes he felt a curious suspense, but not fear. Please, he said. Who are you, and what are you, and what are you? A queer look came into the old eyes, a kind of weariness. The deep walls were covered over. Hrum, now, answered the voice. Well, I am an ent, or that's what they call me. Yes, ent is the word. The ent I am, you might say, in the manner of speaking. Fangorn is my name, according to some. Treebeard, others make it. Treebeard will do. An ent, said Mary. What's that? But what do you call yourself? What's your real name? Who now, replied Treebeard. Who? Now that now that would be telling, not so hasty, and I am doing the asking. You're in my country. What are you, I wonder? I cannot place I cannot place you. You do not seem to come in the old list that I learned when I was young, but that was a long, long time ago, and they have made new lists. Let me see, let me see, how did it go? Learn now the lore of living creatures. First name the four, the free peoples, eldest of all the elf children. Dwarf the Delver, dark are his houses, and the earthborn, old as old as mountains. Man the mortal, master of horses. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Beaver the builder, buck the leaper, bear bee hunter, boar the fighter, hound is hungry, hare is fearful. Hmm, hmm. Eagle and eyrie, ox and pasture, hart horn crowned, hawk is swiftest, swan the whitest, serpent coldest. Hmm, him, hmm, him. How did it go? Room tum room tum romty tum tum. It was a long list, but anyway, you do not seem to fit in anywhere. We have we always seem to have got left out of the old list and the old stories," said Mary. "Yet we've been about for quite a long time. We're hobbits. Why not make a new line?" said Pippin. "Half-grown hobbits, the hold dwellers. Put us in amongst the four, next to man, the big people, and you've got it." "Hm, not bad, not bad," says Treebeard. That would do. So you live in holes, eh? It sounds very right and proper. Who calls you hobbits, though? That does not sound elvish to, elvish to me. Elves made all the w old words. They began it. Nobody else calls us hobbits. We call ourselves that, said Pippin. Hmm, hmm. Come now, not so hasty. You call yourselves hobbits? But you should not go telling just anybody. You'll be letting out your own right names if you're not careful. We aren't careful about that, said Mary. As a matter of fact, I'm a brandy book, Mary a Doc brandy book, though most people call me just Mary. And I'm Took, Peregrine Took, but I'm generally called Pippin, or even Pip. Hmm, but you are hasty folk, I see, said Treebeard. I'm honored by your confidence, but you should not be too free all at once. There are ants and ants, you know, or there are ants and things that look like ants but ain't, as you might say. I'll call you Mary and Pippin, if you please. Nice names. For I am not going to tell you my name, not yet at any rate. A queer, half-knowing, half-humorous look came with a green flicker into his eyes. For one thing, it would take a long while. My name is growing all the time, and I've lived a very long, long time. So my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of the, of the things they, be they belong to in my language. And the old entish, as you might say. 
It is a lovely language, but it takes a very long time to say anything in it, because you do not say anything in it, unless it is worth taking a long time to say and to listen. But now, and the eyes became very bright and, pre and present, seeming to grow smaller and almost sharp. What is going on? What are you doing in it all? I can see and hear and smell and feel a great deal from this, from this, from this, ah, la, 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 rumba, commanda, lindor, Biram. Excuse me, that is a part of my name for it. I do not know what the words is in the outside languages. You know the thing we are on where I stand and look out on fine mornings and think about the sun and the grass beyond the wood and the horses and the clouds and the unfolding of the world? What is going on? What is Gandalf up to? And these Biorum, he made a deep rumbling noise like a discord on a great organ. These orcs and young Saruman down at Isengard, I like news, but not too quick now. There was quite a lot going on, said Mary, and even if we tried to be quick, it would take a long time to tell. You told us not to be hasty. Ought we to tell you anything so soon? Would you think it rude if we asked what you are going to do with us and which side you are on? And did you know Gandalf? Yes, I do know him. The only wizard that really cares about trees, said Treebeard. Do you know him? Yes, said Pippin sadly. We did. He was a great friend, and he was our guide. Then I can answer your other questions, said Treebeard. I am not going to do anything with you, not if you mean by that do something to you without your leave. We might do some things together. I don't know about sides. I go on my own way, but your way may go along with mine for a while. But you speak of Master Gandalf as if he was, uh, if he was in a story that has come to an end. Yes, we do, said Pippin sadly. The story seems to be going on, but I am afraid Gandalf has fallen out of it. Who, come now, said Treebeard. Hm, hm, ah, well. He paused, looking long at the hobbits. Hm, ah, well, I do not know what to say. Come now. If you would like to hear more, said Mary, we will tell you. But it will take some time. Wouldn't you like to put us down? Couldn't we sit here together in the sun while it lasts? You must be getting tired of holding us up. Hmm, tired? No, I am not tired. I do not easily get tired, and I do not sit down. I am not very bendable, but there the sun is going in. Let us leave this. Did you say Did you say what you call it? Hill, suggested Pippin. Shelf, step, suggested Mary. Cheebeard repeated the words thoughtfully. Hill, yes, that was it, but it is hasty for a thing that has stood over stood here ever since the part of the world has shaped never mind let us leave it and go where shall we go asked mary to my home or one of my homes answered Treebeard. is it far i do not know you might call it far perhaps but what does that matter well you see we have lost our belongings said, said mary we have only a little food oh hmm you need not trouble about that said Treebeard. I can give you a drink that will keep you green and growing for a long, long while, and if we decide to part company, I can set you down outside my country at any point you choose. Let us go. Holding the hobbits gently but firmly, one in the crook of each arm, Treebeard lifted up first one large foot and then the other, and moved them to the edge of the shelf. The root-like root tr root toes grasped at rocks. 
Then carefully and solemnly he stopped down from step to step and reached the floor of the forest. At once he set off with long deliberate strides through the trees, deeper and deeper into the wood, never far from the stream, climbing steadily up towards the slopes of the mountains. Many of the trees seemed asleep or as unaware of him as of any other creature that merely passed by, but some quivered and some raised up their branches above his head as he approached. All the while as he walked he talked to himself in a long-running stream of musical sounds. The hobbits were silent for some time. They felt, oddly enough, safe and comfortable, and they had a great deal to think and wonder about. At last Pippin ventured to speak again. Please, tree beard, he said. Could I ask you something? Why did Celeborn warn us against your forest? He told us not to risk getting entangled in it. Hm, did he now, rumbled Treebeard. And I might have said much the same if you do not if you had been going the other way. Do not risk getting entangled in the woods of Lor Lorolindorinen. That is what the elves used to call it. But now they make the name shorter. Lothlorien. Land of the Valley of Singing Gold. That was it once upon a time. Now it now it is the dream flower. Ah oh, well, but it is a queer place, and not just and not for just anyone to venture in. I'm surprised that you ever got out, but much more surprised that you ever got in. That has not happened to strangers for many a year. It is a queer land, and so is this. Folk have come to grief here. Ay, they have to grief. Lor Lindorinen, Lindalorindor, Mal Malinorlian, or Nemalin. He hummed to himself. They are falling rather behind the world in there, I guess, he said. Neither this country nor anything else outside the Golden Wood is what it was when Celeborn was young. Still, Torililomia Tumbalamorna Tumbalaturia Lominor. That is what they used to say. Things have changed, but it is still true in places. What do you mean, said Pippin? What is true? The trees and the ants, said Treebeard. I do not understand all that goes on myself, so I cannot explain it to you. Some of us are still true ants and live and lively enough in our fashion, but many are growing sleepy, going treeish, as you might say. Most of the trees are just trees, of course, but many are half awake. Some are quite wide awake, and a few, well, uh, well, getting entish. This, that is going on all the time. What happens to a tree you find that has that some have bad hearts nothing to do with their wood i do not mean that why i knew some good old willows down the entwash gone long ago alas they were quite hollow indeed they were falling all to pieces but as quiet and sweet-spoken as a young leaf and then there are some trees in the valleys under the mountains sound as a bell and bad right through that sort of thing seems to spread there used to be some very dangerous parts in this country there are still some very black patches. Like the old forest away to the north, do you mean? asked Pippin. Ay, ay, something like, but much worse. I do not doubt there is some shadow of the great darkness lying there still away north, and bad memories are handed down. But there are hollow dales in this land where the darkness has never been lifted, and the trees are older than I am. Still we do what we can. We keep off strangers in the foolhardy, and we train and we teach, we walk and we weed. We are tree herds, we old ants. Few enough of us are left now. Sheep get like shepherd, and shepherds like sheep, it is said. But slowly, and neither have long in the world. 
It is quicker and closer with trees and ants, and they walk down the ages together. For ants with more like el for ants are more like elves, and they for ants are more like elves, less interested in themselves than men are, and better at getting inside other things. And yet ants are more like men, more changeable than elves are, and quicker at taking the color of their of the outside, you might say. Or better than both, for they are steadier and keep their minds on things longer. Some of my kin look just like trees now and need something great to rouse them, but they speak only in whispers. But some of my trees are limbless, and many can talk to me. Elves began it, of course, waking trees up and teaching them to speak and learning their tree talk. They, all, they always wished to talk to everything, the old elves did. But then the great darkness came, and they passed away over the sea, or fled into far valleys, and hid themselves, and made songs about days that would never come again, never again. Ay, ay, there was all one wood once upon a time from here to the mountains of Loon, and this was just the east end. Those were the broad days. Time was when I could walk and sing all day, and hear no more than the echo of my own voice in the hollow hills. The woods were like the woods of Lothlorien, only thicker, stronger, younger, and the smell of the air I used to spend a week just breathing. Treebeard fell silent, striding along and yet making hardly a sound with his great feet. Then he began to hum again, and passed into a murmuring chant. Gradually the hobbits became aware that he was chanting to them. In the willow meads of Terrasinan I walked in the spring. Ah, the sight and the smell of the spring in Nan Terrasinan. And I said that was good. I wandered in summer in the elm woods of Osirian. Ah, and ah, the light and the music in the summer by the seven rivers of Osir. And then, and I thought that was best. To the beaches of Neldoreth I came in the autumn. Ah, the gold and the red and the singing of the leaves in the autumn in Tar Nan Neldor. It was more than my desire. To the pine trees upon the highland of Dorthonian, I climb in the winter. Ah, the wind and the whiteness in the black branches of winter upon Orad Nathan. My voice went up and sang in the sky, and now all those lands lie under the wave, and I walk in Amborona and Tarumorna in Ad Aldalome, where the roots are long, and the years lie thicker than the leaves in, in Tormorn Alome. He ended and strode on silently. And in all the wood, as far as ear could reach, there was not a sound. The day waned, and dusk and dusk was twined about the boughs of the trees. At last, the hobbits saw rising dimly before them a steep, dark land. They had come to the feet of the mountains and to the green roots of of tall methedras. Methedras, down the hillside, the young entwash leaping from its springs high above ran noisily from step to step to meet them on the right of the stream there was a long slope clad with grass now gray in the twilight no trees grew there and it was open to the sky stars were shining already in lakes between short between shores of cloud the tree beard strode up the slope hardly slacking slackening his pace suddenly before them the hobbits saw a wide opening two great trees stood there one on either side, like living gateposts, but there was, but there was no gate save their crossing and interwoven boughs. As the old ant approached, approached the trees lifted up their branches, and all their leaves quivered and rustled.
for they were evergreen trees and their leaves were dark and polished and gleamed in the twilight beyond them in the twilight beyond them was a wide level space as though the flo floor of a great hall had been um had been until had been cut in the side of the hill on either hand the walls sloped upwards until they were fifty feet high or more and along each wall stood an aisle of trees that also increased in height as they marched inwards at the far end of the rock wall was sheer but at the bottom it had been hollowed back into a shallow bay with an arched roof the only roof of the hall save the branches of the trees which at the inner end overshadowed all the ground leaving only a broad open path in the middle a little stream escaped from the springs above and leaving the main water fell tinkling down the sheer face of the wall pouring in silver drops like a fine curtain in front of the arched bay the water was gathered again into a stone basin in the floor between the trees and thence it spilled and flowed away beyond beside the open path out to rejoin the entwash in its journey through the forest hmm here we are said treebeard breaking his long silence i have brought you about seventy thousand entrides but what that comes to in measurement of your land i do not know anyhow we are near the roots of the last mountain part of the name of this place might be wellinghall if it were turned into your language i like it we will stay here to-night he set he set them down on the grass between the aisles of the trees and they followed him towards the great arch the hobbits now noticed that as he walked his knees hardly bent but his legs opened in a great stride he planted his big toes and they were indeed big and very broad on the ground first before any other part of his feet for a moment treebeard stood under the rain of the falling spring and took a deep breath then he laughed and passed inside a great stone table stood there but no chairs at the back of the bay it was already quite dark treebeard lifted two great vessels and stood them on the table they seemed to be filled with water but he held his hands over them and immediately they began to glow one with a golden and the other with a rich green light and the blending of the two lights lit the bay as if the sun of summer was shining through a roof of young leaves looking back the hobbits saw that the trees in the court had also begun to glow faintly at, for at first but steadily quickening until every leaf was edged with light some green some gold some red as copper while the tree trunks looked like pillars molded out of luminous stone well well now we can talk again said treebeard you are thirsty i expect perhaps you are also tired drink this he went to the back of the bay and then they saw that several tall stone jars stood there with heavy lids he removed one of the lids and dipped in a great ladle and filled it with three bowl and and with it filled three bowls one very large bowl and two smaller ones this is an ent house he said and there are no seats i fear but you may sit on the table picking up the hobbits he set them on the great stone slab six feet above the ground and they were sat dangling their legs and drinking in sips the drink was like water indeed very like the taste of the draughts they had drunk from the end wash near the borders of the forest and yet there was some scent or savour in it which they could not describe it was faint but it reminded them of the smell of a distant wood borne from afar by a cool breeze at night the effect of the drop began at the toes and rose steadily through every limb bringing, bringing refreshment and vigour as it coursed upwards right to the tips of the hair 
Indeed, the hobbits felt that the hair on their heads was actually standing up, waving and curling and growing. As for Treebeard, he first laved, laved his feet in the basin beyond the arch, and then he drained his bowl at one draw, one long, slow draw. The hobbits thought he would never stop. At last, he set the bowl down again. Ah, ah, he sighed. Hmm, hmm. Now we can talk easier. You can sit on the floor, and I will lie down. That will prevent this drink from rising to my head and spend, sending me to sleep. On the right side of the bay, there was a great bed on low legs, not more than a couple of feet high, covered deep in dried grass and bracken. Cheebeard lowered himself slowly onto this, with only the slightest sign of bending at his middle, until he lay at full length with his arms behind his head, looking up at the ceiling upon which lights were flickering, like the play of leaves in the sunshine. Mary and Pippin sat beside on pillows of grass. Now tell me your tale, and do not hurry, said Treebeard. The hobbits began to tell him the story of their adventures ever since they left Hobbiton. They followed no cl clear order, for they interrupted one another continually, and Treebeard often stopped the speaker and went back to some earlier point, or jumped forward asking questions about later events. They said nothing about the ring, and did not tell him why they set out or where they were going to, and he did not ask for any reasons. He was immensely interested in everything, in the Black Riders and Elrond and Rivendell, in the Old Forest and Tom Bombadil, in the Mines of Moria, and in Lothlorien and Galadriel. He made them he made them describe the Shire and his country over and over again. He said an odd, an odd thing at this point. You never see any, hmm, any ants around there, do you? He asked. Well, not ants, ant wives, I should really say. Ant wives, said Pippin. Are they like you at all? Yes, hmm, well, no, I do not really know, said Treebeard, thoughtfully. But they would like your country, so I just wondered. Treebeard was, however, especially interested in everything that concerned Gandalf, and most interested in all of all in Saruman's doings. The, har the hobbits regretted very much that they knew so little about them, only a rather vague report by Sam of what Gandalf had told the council. But they were clear at any rate that Ugluck and his troop came from Isengard and spoke of Saruman as their master. Hmm, hmm, said Treebeard, when at last their story had wound and wandered down to the Battle of the Orcs and the Riders of Rohan. Well, well, that is a bundle of news and no mistake. You have not told me all, no indeed, not by a long way, but I do not doubt that you are going as Gandalf would wish. There is something very big going on that I can see, and what it is maybe I shall learn in good time, or in bad time, by root and twig, but it is a strange business, upsprout a little folk that are not in the old list, and behold, the nine forgotten riders appear to hunt again to hunt them, and Gandalf takes them on a great journey, and Galadriel harbored harbors them in Karaskaladon, and orcs pursue them down all the leagues of Wilderland. Indeed, they seem to be caught up in a great storm. I hope they weather it. And what about yourselves? asked Mary. Whom, him? I, I have not troubled about the great wars, said Treebeard. They mostly concern elves and men. That is the business of wizards. Wizards are always troubled about the future. I do not like worrying about the future. I am not altogether on anybody's side because nobody's altogether on my side, if you understand me. Nobody cares for the woods as I care for them, not even elves nowadays. 
Still, I take more kindly to elves than to others. It was the elves that cured, of, cured us of dumbness long ago, and that was a gr great gift that cannot be forgotten. Though our ways have parted since, and there are some things, of course, whose side I am altogether not on. I am against them altogether, these barroom. He made again a deep rumble of disgust. These orcs and their masters. I used to be anxious when the shadow lay on Mirkwood, but when I removed to Mordor, I did not trouble for a while. Mordor is a long way away, but it seems that the wind is setting east, and the withering of all woods may be drawing near. There is not that an old ant could do to hold back that storm. He must weather it or crack. But Saruman now, Saruman is a neighbor. I cannot overlook him. I must do something, I suppose. I have often wondered lately about what I should do with Saruman. Who is Saruman? asked Pippin. Do you know anything about his story? Saruman is a wizard, answered Treebeard. More than that, I cannot say. I do not know the history of wizards. They appeared first after the great ships came over the sea. But if they came with the ships, I, can never I never can tell. Saruman was reckoned with great among them, I believe. He gave up wandering and gave up wandering about and minding the affairs of men and elves some time ago. You would call it a very long time ago, and he settled down at at Angr Angrenost, or Isengard as the men of Rohan call it. He was very quiet to begin with, but his fame began to grow. He was chosen to be the head of the White Council, they say, but that did not turn out too well. I wonder now if even the Saruman was not turning to evil ways but at any rate he used to give no trouble to his neighbors i used to talk to him there was a time when he was always walking about my woods he was polite in those days asking always asking my leave at least when he met me and always eager to listen i told him many things that he would never have found out by himself but he never repaid me in any light kind i cannot remember that he ever told me anything and he got more and more like that his face, as I remember it, I have not seen it for many a day, became like windows in a stone wall, windows with shutters inside. I think that I now understand what he is up to. He is plotting, plotting to become a power. He doesn't care for growing things, except as far as they serve him for the moment. And now it is clear that he is a black traitor. He has taken up with foul folk, with the orcs. Broom, hmm, worse than that. He has been doing something to them, something dangerous. For these Isengarders are more like wicked men. It is a mark of evil things that came in the great darkness that they cannot abide the sun. But Saruman's orc can endure it, even if they hate it. I wonder what he has done. And they men, are there men, are they men he has ruined? Or has he blended the races of orcs and men? That would be a black evil. Treebeard rumbled for a moment, as if he were pronouncing some deep subterranean entish malediction. Some time ago, I began to wonder how orcs dared to pass through my woods so freely, he went on. Only lately did I guess that Saruman was to blame. He and that long ago he had been spying out all the ways and discovering my secrets. He and his foul folk are making havoc now. Down on the borders they are felling trees, good trees. Some of the trees they just cut down and leave to rot. Orc mischief that, but most are hewn up and carried off to feed the fires of Orthanc. There is always a smoke rising from Isengard these days. Curse him, root and branch. Many of those trees were my friends, creatures I had known before I 
before from not an acorn, and many many had voices of their own that are lost forever now, and there are wastes of stump and bramble where once they were singing groves. I have been idle, I have let things slip. I must stop. Treebeard raised himself from his bed with a jerk, stood up and dumped his hand on the table. The vessels of light trembled and set up two jets of flame. There was a flicker like green fire in his eyes, and his beard stood out stiff as a, as a great besom. I will stop it, he boomed, and you shall come with me. You may be able to help me. You will be helping your own friends that way too, for if Saruman is not checked, Rohan and Gondor will have an enemy behind as well as in front. Our roads go together, to Isengard. We will come with you, said Mary. We will do what we can. Yes, said Pippin. I should like to see the white hand overthrown. I should like to be there, even if I could not be of much use. I shall never forget Ugluck and the crossing of Rohan. Good, good, said Treebeard, but I spoke hastily. We must not be hasty. I have become too hot. I must cool myself and think, for it is easier to shout stop than to do it. He strode to the archway and stood for some time under the falling rain of, of the spring. Then he laughed and shook himself, and wherever the drops of water felt Wherever the drops of water fell glittering from him to the ground, they glinted like red and green sparks. He came back and laid himself on the bed again, and was silent. After some time, the hobbits heard him murmuring again. He seemed to be counting on his finger fingers. Fangor and Finglas, Fladruf, I, I, he sighed. The trouble is that there are so few of us left, he said, turning to the hobbits. Only three remain of the first ants that walked in the woods before the darkness. Only myself, Fangorn, and Finglas and Fladrif, to give them their elvish names. You may call them Leaflock and Skinbark if you like that better. Any of us, any of us three, Leaflock and Skinbark, are not much of use for this business. Leaflock has grown sleepy, almost treeish, you might say. He has taken the standing by himself, half asleep, all through the summer with the deep grass of the meadows round his knees. Covered with leafy hair he is. He used to rouse up in winter, but of late he has been too drowsy to walk far even then. Skinbark lived on the mountain slopes west of Isengard. That is where the worst trouble has been. He was wounded by the orcs, and many of his folk and his tree herds have been murdered and destroyed. He has gone up into the high places among the birches that he loves best, and he will not come down. Still, I dare say I could, make, I could get together a fair company of our younger folks, folks if I could make them understand the need, if I could rouse them. We are not hasty folk. What a pity there are so few of us. Why are, why are there so few? Have you, when you have lived in this country so long, ex-Pippin, have a great many died? Oh no, said Treebeard, none have died from inside, as you might say. Some have fallen in the evil chances of the long years, of course, and more have grown treeish. But there were never many at all of us, and we have not increased. There have been no endings, no children, you would say, not for a terrible long count. You see, we lost the Entwives. How very sad, said Pippin. How was it that they all died? They did not die, said Treebeard. I never said died. We lost them, I said. We lost them and we could not find them. He sighed. I thought most folk knew that. There were songs about the hunt of the ants I've sung among elves and men from Mirkwood to Gondor. They could not be quite forgotten. Well, I'm afraid the songs have not come west over the mountains to the Shire, said Mary. 
Will you tell us more or sing us one of the songs? Yes, I will indeed, said Sheepbeard, seeming pleased with the request, but I cannot tell it properly, only in short, and then we must end our talk. Tomorrow we have consuls to call, and work to do, and maybe a journey to begin. It is rather a strange and sad story, he went on after a pause. When the world was young and the woods were wild, wide and wild, the ants and the ant wives, and they were ant maidens then. Ah, the loveliness of Finn Bretho, of Wandlim, the light-footed, and the days of our youth. They walked together and they housed together, but our hearts did not go on growing in the same way. The ants gave their love to things that they met in the world, and the ant wives, ant wives gave their thought to other things, for the ants loved the great trees and the wild woods and the slopes of the high hills, and they drank of the mountain streams and ate only such fruit as the trees let fall in their path, and they learned of the elves and spoke with the trees. But the ant wives gave their minds to the lesser trees and to the meads and the sunshine beyond the feet of the forest, and they saw the slow in the thicket and the wide apple and the tree blossoming in spring and the green herbs and the water lands in summer and the seeding grasses in the autumn fields they did not desire to speak with these things but they wished them to hear and obey what they said to them the ant wives ordered them to grow according to their wishes and bear leaf and fruit to their liking for the ant wives desired order and plenty and peace by which they meant that things should remain where they had set them so the ant wives made gardens to live in but we ants went on wandering, and we only came to the garden now and again. Then, when the darkness came in the north, the now and again, so so sorry. So then, when the darkness came in the north, the ant wives crossed the river, crossed the great river, and made the new gardens, and made new gardens and tilled new fields, and we saw them more seldom. After the darkness was overthrown, the land of the ant wives blossomed richly and their fields were full of corn. Many men learned the craft of the ant-wives and honored them greatly, but we were only a legend to them, a secret in the heart of the forest. Yet here we still are, with all the gardens of the ant-wives are wasted. Men called them the brown lands now. I remember it was long ago in the time of the war between Sauron and the men of the sea. Desire came over me to see Fimbrithil again. Very fair she was still in my eyes, when I had last seen her though little like the ant maiden of old for our ant wives were bent and browned by their labor their hair parched by the sun to the hue of ripe corn and their cheeks like red apples yet their eyes were still the eyes of our own people we crossed over anduin and came to their land but we found a desert it was all burned and uprooted for war had passed over it but the ant wives were not there long we called and long we searched and we asked for all folk that we met with that we met which way the end wives had gone some said they had never seen them and some said that they had seen them walking away west and some said east and others south but nowhere that we went we could find them our sour was from great yet the wild wood called and we returned to it for many years we used to go out every now and again and look for the end wives walking far and wide and calling them by their beautiful names but as time passed we went more seldom and wandered less far and now the ant wives are only a memory for us, and our beards are long and gray. The elves made many songs concerning the search of the ants, and some of the songs passed into the tongues of men. But we made no, th no but we made no songs about it, being content to chant their beautiful names while 
when we thought of the end wives. We believe that we may meet again in times to come, but perhaps we shall find somewhere in a land where we can live together and we both and both be content. But is but it is foreboded that that but it is foreboded that that will only be when we have both lost all that we now have, and it may well be that the time is drawing near at last. For if Sauron of old destroyed the gardens, the enemy today seems to le- seems likely to wither all the woods. There was an elvish song that spoke of this, or at least so I understand it. It is used to be sung up and down the great river. It was never an entish song, mark you. It would have been a very long song in Entish, but we know it by heart and hum it now and again. This is how it runs in your tongue. And when spring unfolds the beech and leaf and sap is in the bow, when light is on the wildwood stream and wind is on the brow, when stride is long and breath is deep and keen the mountain air, come back to me, come back to me, and say my land is fair. And wife. When spring is come to garth and field, and corn is, th- is in the blade, when blossom like a shining snow is on the orchard laid, when shower and sun upon the earth with fragrance fill the air, I'll linger here and will not come, because my land is fair. When summer lies upon the world, and in the no- noon of gold, beneath this roof of sleeping leaves and dreams of trees unfold, when woodland halls are green and cool, and wind is in the west, come back to me, come back to me, and say my land is best. When summer warms the hanging fruit and burns the berry brown, when straw is gold and ear is white, and harvest comes to town, when honey spills and ear is white, and harvest comes, sorry, when honey spills and ap- apple swells through wind be in the west, I'll linger here beneath the sun because my land is best. When winter comes, the winter wild, that hill and wood shall slay. When trees shall fall and starless night devour the sunless day. When wind is in the deadly east and in the bitter rain, I'll look for thee and call to thee, I'll come to thee again. When winter comes and singing ends, when darkness falls at last, when broken is the barren boat and light and labor past, I'll look for thee and wait for thee until we meet again. Together we will take the road beneath the bitter rain, Together we will take the road that leads into the west, and far away we will find a land where both our hearts may rest. Treebid ended his song. That is how it goes, he said. It is elvish, of course, light-hearted, quick-worded, and soon over. I dare say it is fair enough, but the Ents could say more on their side if they had time. But now I am going to stand up and take a little sleep. Where will you stand? We usually lie down to sleep, said Mary. We shall be all right where we are. Lie down to sleep, said Treebird. Why, of course you do. Hmm, hmm. I was forgetting. Singing that song put me in mind of old times. Almost thought that I was talking to young Entings, I did. Well, you can lie on the bed. I'm going to stand in the rain. Good night. Mary and Pippin climbed onto the bed and curled up in the soft grass and fern. It was fresh and sweet-scented and warm. The lights died down and the glow of the trees faded. But outside... Under the arch they could see old Treebeard standing, motionless with his arms raised above his head. The bright stars peered out of the sky and lit the falling water as it rippled onto his fingers and head, and dripped dripped in hundreds of silver drops to his feet. Listening to the tinkling of the drops, the hobbits fell asleep. They woke to find the cool sun shining in the great court and onto the floor of the bay. 
Sheds of high cloud were over her overhead, running on a stiff easterly wind. Treebeard was not to be seen, but while Mary and Pippin were bathing in the basin by the arch, they heard him humming and singing as he came up the path between the trees. Hoo, ho, good morning, Mary and Pippin, he boomed when he saw them. You sleep long. I've been in many hundred strides already today. Now we will have a drink and go to Entmood. He poured them out two full bowls from a stone jar, but from a different jar. The taste was not the same as it had been the night before. It was earthier and richer, more sustaining and food-like, so to speak. While the hobbits drank, sitting on the edge of the bed and nibbling small pieces of elf cake, more because they felt that, more because they felt that eating was a necessary part of breakfast than because they felt hungry. Treebird stood, humming an entish or elvish or some strange tongue, and looking up at the sky. Where's Entmoot? Pippin ventured to ask. Who, eh? Entmoot? said Treebeard, turning around. It is not a place, it is a gathering of ants, which does not often happen nowadays, but I have managed to make a fair make a fair number promise to come. We shall meet in the place where we have always met. Dur Durndingle, men call it. It is away south from here. We must be before noon. Before long they set off. Tree Treebeard carried the hobbits in his arms, as on the previous day. At the entrance to the court, he turned to the right, stepped over the stream, and strode away southwards along the feet of great tumble slopes where the trees were scanty. Above these, the hobbits saw thickets of birch and rowan, and beyond them, the dark climbing pine woods. Soon, Treebeard turned a little away from the hills and plunged into deep groves, where the trees were larger, taller, and thicker than any that the hobbits had ever seen before. For a while they felt faintly the sense of a stifling which they had noticed when they first ventured into Fangorn, but it soon passed. Chibre did not talk to them. He hummed to himself deeply and thoughtfully, but Mary and Pippin caught no proper words. It sounded like boom, boom, rum, boom, boorar, boom, boom, darar, boom, boom, darar, boom, and so on with a constant change of note and rhythm. Now and again they thought they heard an answer, a hum or a quiver of sound that seemed to come out of the earth, or from boughs above their heads, or perhaps from the boughs of the trees. But Treebeard did not stop or turn his head to either side. They had been going for a long while. Pippin had tried to keep out, keep count of the end strides, but had failed, getting lost at about 3,000, when Treebeard began to slacken at his pace. Suddenly he stopped, put the hobbits down, and raised his curled hands to his mouth till they made a hollow tube. Then he blew or called through them. A great hum-hum rang out like a deep-throated horn in the woods and seemed to echo from the trees. Far off they came from several different directions a similar hum-hum-hum. That was not an e echo, but an answer. Treebeard now perched Mary and Pippin on his shoulders and strode on again every now and then sending out another horn call, and each time the answers came louder and nearer. In this way, the came at least till it looked like an impenetrable wall of dark, ever dark evergreen trees, trees of a kind that the hobbits had never seen before. They branched out right from the roots and were densely clad in dark, glossy leaves like thornless holly, and they bore many stiff, upright flower spikes, flower spikes with large, shining, olive-colored buds. Turning to the left and skirting this huge hedge, Treebird came in a few strides to a narrow entrance. Through it, a worn path passed and dived suddenly down a long, steep slope. The hobbits saw that they were descending into a great dingle, almost as round as a bowl, very wide and deep, 
crowned at the rim with the dark with the high dark evergreen hedge. It was smooth and grass clad inside, and there were no trees except three very tall and beautiful silver birches that stood at the bottom of the bowl. Two other paths led down into the dingle from the west and from the east. Several ants had already arrived. Many were coming and down the other paths, and some were now following Treebeard. As they drew near, the hobbits gazed at them. They had expected to see a number of creatures as much like Treebeard as one hobbit is like another, at any rate to a stranger's eye, and they were very much surprised to see nothing of the kind. The ants were as different from one another, another as trees from trees. Some as diff- sorry. Actually, some as different as one tree from another of the same name, but quite different growth and history, and some as different as one kind of tree from another, as birch from beech, oak from fir. There, there were a few older ants, bearded and gnarled like hail, but were, but hail, but ancient trees, though none looked as ancient as tree beard, and they. And there were st- tall, strong ants, clean-limbed and smooth-skinned like forest trees in their prime. But they were no young ants, no saplings. Altogether, there were about two dozen standing on the wide, grassy flo- floor of the dingle, and as many were more marching in. At first, Mary and Pippin were struck chiefly by the variety that they saw, the many shapes and colors, the differences in girth and height and length of leg and arm, and in the number of toes and fingers anything from three to nine. A few seemed more or less related to Treebeard, and reminded them of beech trees or oaks, but there were other kinds. Some were called the chestnut, brown-skinned ants with very splay-fingered hands and short, thick legs. Some were called the ash, tall, gray, tall, tall straight gray ants with many-fingered hands and long legs. Some of the fir, the tallest ants, and others the birch, and rowan, the lint and the linden, but when the ants all gathered round the round tree beard, bowing their heads slightly, murmuring in their slow musical voices, and looking long and intently at the strangers, then the hobbits saw that they were all of the same kindred, but all had, and all had the same eyes, not all so old or so deep as tree beards, but all with the same slow, steady, thoughtful expression and the same green flicker. As soon as the whole company was assembled, standing in a wide circle round Treebeard, a curious and unintelligible, joke, unintelligible conversation began. The ants began to murmur softly, first one joined and then another, until they were all chanting together in a long, rising and falling rhythm, not louder on one side of the ring, now dying away there and rising to a great boom on the other side. Though he could not catch or understand any of the words, he supposed the language was entish. Pippin found the sound very pleasant to listen to at first, but gradually his attention wavered. After a long time, and the chant showed no signs of slackening, he found himself wondering, since Entish was such an unhasty language, whether they had got further than good morning, and if Treebeard was to call the roll, how many days it would take to sing all their names. I wonder what the Entish is for yes or no, he thought. He yawned. The Treebeard was immediately aware of him. Hmm, ha, hey, my Pippin, he said, and the other ants stopped, all stopped their chant. You are a hasty folk, I was forgetting. In any way, it is worrisome listening to a speech you do not understand. You may get down now. I have told your names to the ant moot, and they have seen you, and they have agreed that you are not orcs, and that a new line shall be put in the old line, old lists. 
We have n got no further yet, but that is quick work for Aunt Moon. You and you and Mary can stroll in the dingle if you like. There is a well of good water if you need refreshing. Away yonder in the north bank. There are still some words to speak before the moot really begins. I will come and see you again and tell you how things are going. He put the hobbits down before they walked away. They bowed low. This feat seemed to amuse the ants very much, to judge by the tone of their murmurs and the flicker of their eyes, but they soon turned back to their own business. Mary and Pippin climbed up the path that came in from the west and looked through the opening in the great hedge. Long tree-clad slopes rose from the lip of the dingle, and away beyond them, above the fir trees of the first ridge, there rose... Sharp and white, the peak of a high mountain, southwards to their distance, they could see the forest falling away down into the great distance. They There there far away, there was a pale green glimmer that Mary guessed to be a glimpse of the plains of Rohan. I wonder where Isengard is, said Pippin. I don't know quite where we are, said Mary, but that peak is probably Methadras, as far as I can remember the ring of Isengard lies as far as I can remember, the ring of Isengard lies in a fork or deep cliff at the end of the mountains. It is probably down behind this great ridge. There seems to be a smoke or haze over there, left of the pink peak, don't you think? What is Isengard like, said Pippin. I wonder what Ents can do about it, anyway. So do I, said Mary. Isengard is a sort of ring of rocks or hills, I think, with a flat space inside and an island or pillar of rock in the middle, called Orthanc. Saruman has a tower on it. There is a gate, perhaps more than one, in the encircling wall, and believe there is a stream running through it. It comes out of the mountains and flows on across the gap of Rohan. It does not seem the sort of place for ants to tackle, but I have an odd feeling about these ants. Somehow I don't think they are quite as safe and well funny as they seem. They seem slow, queer, impatient, almost sad, and yet I believe they could be roused. If that happened, I would rather not be on the other side. Yes, said Pippin, I know what you mean. There might be all, all the difference between an old cow sitting and thoughtfully chewing and a bull charging, and the change might come suddenly. I wonder if Treebeard will rouse them. I am not sure. I am sure he means to try, but they don't like being roused. Sheebird got him got roused himself last night and then bottled it up again. The hobbits turned back. The voices of the ants were still rising and falling in their conclave. The sun had now risen and high enough to look over the high hedge. It gleamed on the tops of the birches and lit the northward side of the dingle with a cool yellow light. There they saw a little glittering fountain. They walked along the rim of the great bowl at the feet of the evergreens. It was pleasant to feel cold grass about their toes again and not to be in a hurry, and then they climbed down to the gushing water. They drank a little, a clean, cold, sharp draught, and sat down on a mossy stone, watching the patches of sun on the grass and the shadows of the sailing clouds on, and the sh shadows of the sailing clouds passing over the floor of the dingle. The murmur of the ants went on. It seemed a very strange and remote place outside the road and far from everything that had ever happened to them. A great longing came over them for the faces and voices of their companions, especially for Frodo and Sam, and for Strider. At last there came a pause in the ant voices, and looking up, they saw Treebeard coming towards them, with another ant at his side. 
Hmm, hmm. Here I am again, said Treebeard. Are you getting weary or feeling impatient? Hmm, eh? Well, I am afraid that you must not get impatient yet. We have finished the first stage now, but I still have to go to explain things again to those that live a long way off, far from Isengard, and those that I could not get round to before uh, before the moot. And after that, we shall have to decide what to do. However, deciding what to do does not take ends as long as going over all the facts and events that they have to make up their minds about. Still, it is no use denying. We shall be here a long time yet. A couple of days, very likely. So I have brought you a companion. He has an ant house nearby. Brigalad is his elvish name. He says he already made up his mind and does not need to remain at the moot. Hmm, hmm. He is the nearest thing among to be, among us to a hasty ant. Ant. You ought to get on together. Goodbye. Treebeard tree turned and left them. Brigalad stood for some time, surveying the hobbit solemnly, and they looked at him, wondering when he would show any signs of hastiness. He was tall and seemed to be one of the younger ends. He had smooth, shining skin. He had smooth, shining skin on his arms and legs. His lips were ready, and his hair was gray-green. He could bend and sway like a slender tree in the wind. At last he spoke, and his voice, though resonant, was higher and clearer than Treebeard's. Ah, hmm, my friends, let us for a walk, he said. I am Brigalad. That is Quickbeam in your language, but it is only a nickname, of course. They have called me that ever since I said yes to an elder ant before he had finished his question. And I also I drink quickly and go out while some are still wetting their beards. Come with me. He reached down two shapely arms and gave a long-fingered hand to each of the hobbits. All that day they walked about in the woods of him, singing and laughing, for Quickbeam often laughed. He laughed if the sun came out from behind the cloud. He laughed if they came upon a stream or spring. Then he stooped and splashed his feet and, and head with water. He laughed sometimes at some sound or whisper in the trees. Whenever he saw a rowan, rowan tree, he halted and with his arms stretched out and sang and swayed as he sang. At nightfall he brought them to his ant house, nothing more than a mossy stone set upon turves under a green bank. Rowan trees grew in a circle about it, and there was a and there was water, as in all ant houses, a spring bub bubbling out from the bank. They talked for a while as darkness fell on the forest. Not far away the voices of the ant moot could be heard still going, but now they seemed deeper and less leisurely, and every now and again one great voice would rise in a high and quickening music, while all the others died away. But beside them Brigalad spoke gently in their own tongue, almost whispering, and they learned that he belonged to Skinbark's people, and the country where they had lived had been ravaged. They se That seemed to the hobbits quite enough to explain his hastiness, at least in the matter of orcs. There was row on trees in my home, said Brigolette softly and sadly. Row on trees that I took root when I was in Enting, many, many years ago in the quiet of the world. The oldest were planted by the ants to try and please the antwives. They looked at them and were growing by the antwives, but they looked at them and smiled and said that they were, that they knew where withered blossom and richer fruit were growing. Yet there are no trees of all that race, the people of the rose, that are so beautiful to me. All these trees grew and grew, to the shadow of each was like a green hall, and their red berries in the autumn were a burden, and a beauty and a wonder. Birds used to flock there. 
I like birds, even when they chatter, and the rowan has enough has enough to spare. But the birds became unfriendly and greedy, and tore at the trees, and threw the fruit down and did not eat it. Then orcs came with axes and cut down my trees. I came and called them to their by their long names, but they did not quiver. They did not, or it, they did not hear or answer. They lay dead. All of Farn, Lesimista, Carnamiri, Car, O Rowan fair, upon your hair, how white the blossom lay. O Rowan mine, I saw you shine upon a summer's day. Your rind is, your rind so bright, your leaves so light, your voice so cool and soft. Upon your head, how golden red, the crown you bore aloft. O Rowan dead, upon your head, your hair is gray, dry and gray. Your crown is spilled, oh, your voice is stilled forever and a day. O Orifarn, Lesmista, Carnamiri, Carnamiri. The hobbits fell asleep to the sound of the soft singing of Brigalad that seemed to lament in many tongues the falls of trees that he had loved. The next day they spent also in his company, but they did not go far from his house. Most of the time they sat silent under the shelter of of the bank for the wind was colder and the clouds closer and grayer there was still sunshine in the close and there was still sunshine in the distance and voices of the ants at the moon still rose and fell sometimes loud and strong sometimes low and sad sometimes quickening sometimes slow and solemn as a dirge a second night came and still the ants had conclave under hurrying clouds and fitful stars the third day broke bleak and windy at sunrise the ants voices rose to a great clamor and then died down again as the morning rose to a as the morning wore on the great wind fell and the air grew heavy with expectancy the hobbits could see that brigalad was now listening intently though to them down in the dell of his ant house the sound of the moot was faint the afternoon came, and the sun going west towards the mountains set out long yellow beams between the cracks and fissures of the clouds. Suddenly they were aware that everything was very quiet. The whole forest stood in listening silence. Of course the end voices had stopped. What did that mean? Brigalad was standing up erect and tense, looking back northward towards Stern Dingle. Then with a crash came a great ringing shout. Rahum ra the trees quivered and bent as if a gust had struck them. There was another pause, and then a marching music began like solemn drums, and above the rolling beats and booms there welled voices singing high and strong. We come, we come with roll of drum, to run to run to run to room. The ends were coming, ever nearer and louder was their, even nearer and louder rose their song. We come, we come with horn and drum, Bregalad picked up the hobbits and strode from his house. Before long, they saw the marching line approaching. The ends were singing along with great strides down the slope towards them. Treebeard was at their head, and some fifty followers behind him, two abreast, keeping step with their feet as, with their feet and beating time with their hands upon their flanks. As they drew near the flash, and flicker of their eyes could be seen. Hum hum, here we come with a boom, here at last, called Treebeard when he caught sight of Brigalad and the hobbits. Come, join the moot, we are off, we are off to Isengard. To Isengard, the ants cried in many voices, to Isengard. To Isengard, through Isengard be ringed and bared with doors of stone. 
Though Isengard be strong and hard, as gold is stone and bare as bone, we go, we go, we go to war, to hew the stone and break the door, for bowl and bow are burning now, the furnace roars, we go to war, to land of gloom, with tramp of doom, with roll of drum, we come, we come, to Isengard with doom we come, with doom we come, with doom we come. So they sang as they marched southwards. Bregolad, his eyes shining, swung into line beside Treebeard. The old ant now took the hobbits back and set them on his shoulders again, and so they rode proudly at the head of the singing company with beating hearts and heads held high. Though they had expected something to happen eventually, they were amazed at the change that had come over the ants. It seemed now as sudden as the bursting of a flood that had long been held back by a dike. The the ants made up up their minds rather quickly after all, didn't they? Pippin ventured to say after some time, when for a moment the singing paused and only the beating of hands and feet was heard. Quickly, said Treebeard. Hmm, yes, indeed, quicker than I expected. Indeed, I have not seen them roused like this for many an age. We ants do not like being roused, and we are never roused unless it is clear to us that our trees and our lives are in great danger. That has not happened in this forest since the wars of Sauron and the men of the sea. It is the orc work, the wanton hewing, Raum, without even the bad excuse of feeding the fires that has so angered us, and the treachery of a neighbor we should have helped, who should have helped us. Wizards ought to know better, they do know better. There is no curse in elvish entish or in the tongues of men bad enough for such treachery. Down with Saruman. Who will really break the doors of Isengard, said Mary. Who? Hmm, well, we could, you know. You do not know, perhaps, how strong we are. Maybe you have heard of trolls? They are mighty strong, but trolls are only counterfeits, made by the enemy and the great darkness and mockery of Ents, as orcs were of elves. We are stronger than trolls. We are made of the bones of the earth. We, c- we can split stones like roots of trees, only quicker, far quicker if our minds are roused. If we are not hewn down and destroyed by fire or blast of sorcery, we could split Isengard into splinters and crack its walls into rubble. But Saruman will try to stop you, won't he? Hmm, ah, uh, yes, that is so. I have not forgotten it. Indeed, I have thought long about it. But you see, many of the Ents are younger than I am, by many lives of trees. They are all roused now, and their mind is all in one thing, breaking Isengard. But they will still start thinking again before long. It will cool down a little, when we take our evening drink. What a thirst we shall have! But we let, but let them march now and sing. We have a long way to go, and there is time ahead for thought. It is something to have started. Treebeard marched on, singing with the others for a while. But after a time his voice died to a murmur and fell silent again. Pippin could see that his old brow was wrinkled and knotted. At last he looked up, and Pippin could see a sad look in his eyes. Sad, but not unhappy. There was a light in them, as if the green flame had not, as if the green flame had sunk deeper into the dark wells of his thought. Of course, it is likely, my friends, he said slowly, likely enough that we are going to our doom, the last march of the Ents. But if we stayed at home and did nothing, doom would find us anyway, sooner or later. That nothing has long been growing in our hearts, and that is why we are marching now. It is not a hasty resolve. Now, at last, the last march of the end may be worth a song. I, he sighed. We may help the pe- we may help the other peoples before we pass away. Still, I should have liked to see the songs come true about the ant wives. 
I should dearly like to see Finn Brethel again. But there, my friends, songs like trees bear fruit only in their own time, in their own way, and sometimes they are withered also untimely. The ants were starting on a, at a great pace. They descended into a long fold of the land that fell away southward. Now they began to climb up and up on the high western ridge. The woods fell away, and they came to a scattered group, came to scattered groups of birch, and then to bare shape, bare slopes, where only a few gaunt pine trees grew. The sun sank behind the dark hill, beat back in front. Gray dusk fell. Pippin looked behind. The number of the ants had grown, or what was happening, when the dim bare slopes that they had crossed should lie. He he thought he saw groves of trees, but they were moving. Could it be that the trees of Fangorn were awake, and the forest was rising, marching over the hills to war? He rubbed his eyes, wondering if sleep and shadow had deceived him. But the great gray shapes moved steadily onward. There was a noise like wind in many branches. The ends were drawing near the crest of the ridge now, and all song had ceased. Night fell, and there was this, and there was silence. Nothing was to be heard save a faint quiver of the earth beneath the feet of the ants, and a rustle, the shade of a whisper as of many drifting leaves. At last they stood upon the summit, and looking down into a dark pit, the great cleft at the end of the mountains, Nan Kurinir, the Valley of Saruman, Night lies over Isengard, said Treebeard.